Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Forza Napoli podcast. This is a podcast all about Napoli, of course, but you don't have to be a Napoli fan to enjoy it. If you're a Serie A fan, if you're a football fan, looking for the inside scoop on all things Napoli, this is the place to be. I'm your host, Joe Fischetti. Thank you, as always, for listening. This is our Hellas Verona preview episode, the first match of the season. And I am joined by a guest to help me with that. He is our favorite Hellas Verona supporter. He is also the author of three books now, Notes from Verona, Rita's War, and Verona at War Volume 1. Rick Hoff, welcome back. Hi, Joe. Thank you. Thank you. Really delighted to be back with you again. Yeah, it's always a pleasure to have you on. The hardest part with chatting with you is trying to keep the the clock down because I mean they think we could talk for a while just telling stories. Yeah, yeah, and that's not even you know football aside, we could probably talk for a while. But yeah, you know we are going to talk a little bit about football today. I mean, there has been a ton of change at Hellas Verona once again, so we're going to talk about that in part one. In part two, we'll talk about Hellas Verona's Coppa Italia round of sixty four match against De Laurentiis' other club, Bari. And finally, in part three, we'll preview the opening match of the 2022-23 campaign for these two clubs, which is on Monday. So let's start with the changes at Hellas Verona this summer. And I should point out that we are recording this episode on Tuesday, but it won't be released until Friday or Saturday. So there could well be more changes between yeah, now and absolutely, then. Absolutely, Joe. Yeah, anything can happen between now and then. Believe me. <laughs> and then both of we're going to get into it because both of our clubs have a lot of rumors of players that could still come and go. But let's yeah. start with the coach, Rick. How are you feeling about Gabriele Chofi taking over as the manager this season? Well, probably up until the game against Barry, I was feeling quite relaxed about the whole <laughs> thing. Um, the game against Barry, there obviously we're going to maybe speak about it anyway, but. 
if your listeners don't know, Verona lost that 4-1. So that was a, a massive disappointment. So I'm rapidly re-evaluating my um, pre-season assessment, downgrading my expectations as we speak. But, I mean, seriously, I, I thought it was a, a solid, if unspectacular, appointment. He'd been solid, if unspectacular, I thought, with Udinese before coming here. The biggest tragedy, if you like, for us was losing Tudor after the, the season he had last year. So Juric before that and then Tudor, these are two very tough guys to follow. And I think with Joffe, the the jury is still out. Yeah, he started last season actually as the assistant manager to Luca Gotti. And then he was promoted to manager after Gotti was sacked in December. You mentioned Juric and Tudor. It's, he's the third manager now in three seasons, which is always going to be a little bit concerning. Yeah. Because- in fact, the fourth, if you remember correctly, Joe, we had a cameo appearance by um, Di Francesco as well at the start of last season. <laughs> yes, that's um, right. Three, three games for us before he was quickly dispatched. And then, and then Tudor came in three games into last season. So, in fact, we're now on our fourth manager in just three seasons, which suggests a degree of instability, even, even though this has been probably the most successful period on the pitch that Verona have had since the 1980s. Yeah, that's right. I completely forgot about Di Francesco. And, you know, as you said, Juric and Tudor are two tough acts to follow. I mean, Juric was successful during his two seasons from 2019 to 2021. He was succeeded by Tudor, who was equally successful again with Di Francesco in between. Under Tudor, you finished ninth last season, which is pretty much where you finished in the previous two seasons. But Tudor actually accumulated more points. I think he got 53 points last season. Yeah. Whereas more goals as well, more goals. Yeah, exactly. Well, two very different styles, right? Which we'll come to in a second. But Tudor has moved on to coach at Marseille in Ligue 1. It seemed like a rather abrupt decision. Were you surprised by his departure? Um, Disappointed, probably more than surprised, to be honest with you. More or less replicated what happened with Juric. They had a fantastic season, but there's something not quite right at boardroom level in the club where we're bringing in these managers who are doing a decent, decent job and we can't persuade them to stay. So they know something or they see something behind the scenes, which is, I think, a lack of ambition and a lack of investment in the squad, which as two young, ambitious coaches, um, they don't want to deal with. You know, they would rather go and work with a club that has got ambitions that, that match their own. And unfortunately, at the moment, the current president, Verona, just don't seem to be matching the ambitions of these guys. Well, speaking of ambition, I mean, Marseille finished second in Liga last season, which means they're going to play in the Champions League. So I imagine that would have been a a tough, it would have been difficult for Tudor to turn down an opportunity to coach in the Champions League. I mean, you never know when those opportunities are going to present themselves. Yeah, Trophy did a pretty good job after he took over for Gotti. I think from match day 17 to the end of the season, Udinese had the ninth best record in the league. So that's pretty much in line with where Verona finished the last couple of seasons. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I think he's a promising, decent coach. I can't really say more than that about him at the moment because 
it's still too early to know, you know, based on what I've seen against Barry, but we can't judge him just on the basis of that one game. So let's wait and see. But he gets off to a bad start in the in the league, then I don't think he'll have long to to be given his chance. You know, I think three or four games in he'll be evaluated and then a decision will have to be taken on whether he can he can do the job. Again, the, the frustrating thing from my perspective is we kind of have a team that is performing well. We've got players that are playing outstandingly well. We've got a system that both Tudor and then Juric in terms of the 3-4-3 that both had great success with. And then we've kind of got a new coach coming in and restarting again with a slightly different system, a completely new set of players. So it's, it's kind of pretty frustrating to be here again at the start of another season. But we've been here before and things worked out okay. So I'm kind of optimistic, but not. this is now the fourth season in a row where our optimism is being tested. Yeah, well, let's hope as maybe as a, a first goal that trophy lasts longer than three matches. <laughs> and then uh, I hope so. Uh, yeah, there. I really hope so. Yeah. Okay, so let's move on to the players. As you said, there's there's a whole new squad, essentially. Two of the big names that Verona have signed are Tomas Henri from Venezia and Milan Juric from Salernitana. How do you feel about those two purchases? I would say probably like the... Um... Like the coach, these are decent, if unspectacular, acquisitions. They're decent players who've got a half-decent track record within our budget, um, which is very, very limited. And you, you can see with the players that have come in, Juric, Piccoli as well, Henry, as you said, from Venezia, you can see they're really trying to bolster that attacking, the attacking options that we have, which is suggesting we've already lost Caprari, Simeone, Breaking news this evening is is on his way to Napoli. There's no surprises that he's leaving, which at the moment leaves only Barak from last season's really, really powerful front three. And I wouldn't be surprised at all in the next week if he also goes. So anyone who's coming in has got a really, really tough act to follow because we scored loads of goals last season, one of the highest scoring. Those three were amongst the highest scoring front threes in European football. So that's going to be a really tough act to follow. And again, we've got Lasagna, who, who's going to have to step up as well. He didn't score many for us last season. But last season, we had no problem scoring goals. I've got a feeling this season it's going to be slightly less um, less easy. I'm optimistic about Henri and Juric only because they were fairly productive for their respective clubs last season. And both of them were pretty much at the bottom of the table yeah, for the entire yeah, season. Yeah. Um, on Juric, I remember when, when Salernitana came up to Verona to play last season, he was an absolute monster on the pitch. In fact, to such an extent that the curva was really getting pissed off with him because he was making such a nuisance of himself, really physical, strong player. So now he's playing for us. I think it's, it's great to have someone like that. I kind of, I seen him briefly when he came on against Barry and he's almost got that kind of, Luca Toni style physicality and shape about him. So I would say, yeah, he could be an interesting player based on the fact that we're going to play two up front probably this season. Um, but it looks like he's going to be starting on the bench, maybe just being introduced with 10 or 15 minutes to go. So, yeah, we'll have to wait and see. You mentioned Simeone. It certainly looks like he's on his way to Napoli. I don't think there's been any official confirmation from either club but that seems likely. 
he was linked to other clubs like Borussia Dortmund, but apparently Simeone only wanted Napoli and maybe it's because of the Argentinian connection and he's been rejecting other offers. I think the Dortmund rumor started because of Sebastian Haller's health issues, but they just announced the signing of Anthony Modesta. You know, on Napoli's side of the transaction, we need to first sell Andrea Petagna. He's been heavily linked to a move to Monza and that deal appears to be close to reaching a conclusion. So if that happens, and I think immediately after that, the Simeone deal would be announced. Yeah. The latest reports are that Patania will go to Monza for about two and a half to three million euros on loan with an obligation to buy for 10 million euros. And then there could be bonuses of up to one and a half million euros for performances. So Napoli could make around 14 million euros on the sale, which is remarkable considering that we paid just under 16 million for Patania. And he hasn't really lived up to the hype or the expectations since he was purchased and played uh, fairly limited over the last two seasons. Speaking of Monza, you mentioned the sale of Gianluca Caprari. That's where he's heading. So it looks like two forwards out, Caprari and Simeone, two forwards in, Henri and Juric, three, I guess, if you include Piccoli. You've also sent two fairly young players to Lazio in Matteo Cancellieri and Nicolo Casale. Cancellieri didn't play a whole lot last season, but Casale did. Yeah. He played, I think, around 2,600 minutes over 36 appearances. Who do you think will replace him in the lineup? Yeah, I mean, that that's a good question. We've got some, go back to the game against Barry, there are some big question marks about our defence at the moment. Casale was a really good young player who came up through the, the youth system here and had a breakthrough season in Serie A last season. So he he's a, a kind of big loss for us. Cancellieri, you mentioned as well, he didn't play that often for us, but a real, real prospect. And at the moment, we just seem to be kind of giving these players away. So, leaves some big problems for us in defence. We started on Sunday against Barry with Ciccarini, Gunter and Davidovic, who's just come back from a, a long spell off injured. But he's a real fan's favourite, Davidovic, um, just because he's one of these young players who's been around the club for quite a while. He's not the most naturally gifted football player, but he always gives everything and the fans have really warmed to him. So he's a he's someone we, I think we can rely on. Gunter had a bit of a howler against Barry after three or four seasons where he's done really well for us. He just seems to be off the boil recently. Ciccarini went off after 20 minutes, looked like quite a bad injury and was replaced by Magnani after about 25 minutes. Magnani had an absolute howler, so was replaced at half-time by a young Argentinian defender who we signed last year, Amione, who again is a decent prospect, but very limited experience in Serie A. He was farmed out on loan last season. So there's some massive big question marks about our defence and who is going to play Choffy has said he needs at least three or four new players before the transfer window closes and we could rebuild our defence with three or four new defenders, really, because it's it's really in a, a bit of a sorry state at the moment. And that's really the result of three or four seasons where each summer we kind of give away our best young defenders. If you think of people like Lovato, Manny Kambola, yeah, I mean, the list is, is endless, more or less. So I think now, on year four, this is beginning to take its toll, the fact that we've just shipped off our, our best players three summers in a row. 
Yeah, for sure. I mentioned Piccoli. He came over on loan from Atalanta, as did Alessandro Cortinovis. Piccoli will give you another option in the attack, which seems like you have a decent amount of depth there. Cortinovis was very good for Regina in Serie B last season. Do you think he could break into the starting eleven? Yeah, I hope so. Again, I mean, I can't say I know that much about him um, as a player, but I've seen him now since he's arrived in Verona, and he looks like a bit of a character, a bit of personality about him, and he's obviously an extremely talented young player. And Verona, if anything, over the last few years, they've given these youngsters the chance and the freedom to, to break through into Serie A. So hopefully guys like that will be given given the chance because... At the moment, I don't see who else there is. So, um, yeah, he's he's definitely one to watch. He, he's got this massive big head of hair, which is quite unusual for a modern-day football player. And he looks like a bit of a personality. So, yeah, I'm, I'm all for giving young guys like that a, a chance in the team. Yeah, and with a five-man midfield, there may be that little bit of extra room for him to get well, into the squad. When he plays five, then there's a, a bit of space for for someone, yeah. Okay, last player I want to talk about is someone you just mentioned earlier, which is Antonin Barak. He's also been linked to Napoli as a possible replacement for Fabian Ruiz. Fabian has suddenly been linked to PSG for about 25 million euros, and it sounds like it's moving pretty quickly. Do you think Verona, I mean, you kind of hinted at your answer already, but do you think Verona will be willing to let Barak go perhaps for the right price? Or would that just be one too many players, key players, as you said, to let go of in a single season? I, I think they'd be willing to let him go, even for the wrong price, Joe. I'm afraid to say the strategy of the club at the moment just seems to be sell these players, make what money you can. Even in the, the deal for Simeone doesn't seem to be particularly great from our perspective. And I wouldn't be surprised at all. This is there's a real kind of disillusionment at the moment amongst the fans, just that, we're letting these players go. Guys like Barak, I think no question that he'll be released if an offer comes in. And I don't think it even has to be a particularly high offer. I think it just has to be a, a respectable, half-decent offer, which will cover the costs of the club. And it's, it's sad to see. I think there was always the expectation that Simeone and, and probably Barak would go. Caprari was apparently untransferable. He was going nowhere until a week later an offer came in for him, which was accepted. Um, I, I don't think he wanted to go, but he, he went against his wishes. So I think Barak's the same. And Simeone has been completely sidelined from pre-season matches. He hasn't been involved at all with the expectation that he would go. Barak has been a bit player. I'm not entirely sure if that's because he's been unfit but also, I think, just because the club are, are looking to offload him. Okay, so yeah, maybe he will. You know, I was under the impression that Verona would keep him. And if we sold Fabian, then we'd be a little bit light in the midfield. I mean, maybe we'd keep Gianluca Gaetano. He's kind of a wild card for us. I think if Napoli play a 4-3-3, then we would use Lobotka as the regista and Deme as a backup and then... You have Anguissa as your box-to-box midfielder with maybe Gaetano as the backup and Zielinski and Elmas as the more attack-minded midfielders. And that's where I think Barak could either be that box-to-box or, or one of those attacking midfielders. Yeah, I would say probably more attacking midfielder than box-to-box, probably. He's real quality, quality player. And 
from an attacking perspective, really exciting guy to watch. Yeah, and he also has a very similar physique to Fabian, so it'd be a pretty good fit, I guess you could yeah. say. He's one of these delightful players who wears his socks around his ankles, more or less. He's got the world's smallest um, shin guard. <laughs> shin guard. <laughs> I, I, lo- I love to see players like that. You know, he's instantly recognisable on the pitch because of his, you know, his blonde hair and his socks around his ankles. It, uh, you know, he's, a, he's been a great player for us the last couple of seasons. Yeah, and like Fabian, he has... For his size, he has a fantastic touch. I think he's actually much better in the air than Fabian was. That was one of Fabian's sort of weaknesses, that despite being fairly tall, he, he wasn't very good in the air. And I know Barak is uh, is fairly good in the air. I think for Napoli, an alternative, if we were to sign Raspadori, as far as formation goes, we could go back to a 4-2-3-1 with Lobotka in the pivot and Gisa in the pivot as well. And then same backup players, but Raspadori and Zelensky playing in the 10. So I, I think... Barak would maybe fit less in that system, but I guess the system will really come down to what players we have. And, you know, so far Spalletti has been looking like he's going back to a 4-3-3, so Barak would certainly fit into that system. So that will do for part one. In part two, we'll talk a little bit more about the match against Badi. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Turns and conditions apply. Welcome to part two of the Fortunopoli podcast. So before we get to the body match, I want to talk a little bit about your new book. It's called Verona at War, Volume 1, Rise, and it came out on the 1st of July, I believe. Can you give us a quick preview of what the book is about? Yeah, of course. Yeah, basically, it tells the story of the rise of fascism with a particular focus on Verona, what happened in Verona during those years between the end of the First World War and the beginning of the Second World War. So really it's it's a kind of precursor, if you like, to the Second World War and everything that happened there, the occupation of the city, the bombardment and the liberation um, and the resistance, of course. So those stories will come in Volumes 2 and Volume 3. But I just felt I couldn't tell the story of Verona at War without first trying to understand how fascism itself got hold in such a kind of genteel, affluent, respectable city as Verona. And I guess the experience in Verona mirrors in many ways the experience of the rest of Italy. So yeah, basically basically that's it in a, in a nutshell, just telling the, the story of fascism on the rise. Well, that sounds genuinely very interesting. I'm definitely going to pick up a copy and dig into that. I guess it's it's a precursor to the war itself. It sets the context, which exactly. is very important. I, I had the intention of writing the story of Verona War during the Second World War because I, I just encountered here so many incidents and stories and events that all took place during the Second World War. But the, the more I kind of researched and looked into what happened here during the Second World War, the more the question 
kept coming back to me, which was, how, how did any of this happen? How did, um, how did we get here? How did we get to that point? And I just had to keep going back and back and back and back and back. And before I knew it, I was, you know, in the trenches of the First World War. And that is a kind of cliche to say it, but that's really where the, the seeds of the fascism and the, the Second World War itself were, were sown. Yeah, so I guess you quickly realize that that was a whole book unto itself. <laughs> exactly. And also, I, from a practical point of view as well, dividing the book into three volumes is just like much easier for me to deal with if I compartmentalize it a little bit and try and focus on one particular era at a time rather than just, it was just getting out of hand the, the amount of material and resources and sources and the scope of it to tell the whole story in a single volume. So I thought, no, what what better way than to do it in a, a trilogy? Yeah, it sounds a little less overwhelming that way. Yeah, exactly. And where can people purchase the books if they want to get a copy of them? Best place to go is on Amazon. So Amazon.com, Amazon.it, if you're in Italy, wherever you buy your books on Amazon, it's it's available there. Thrown at war, or you can search for my name. You should you should there are two Richard Hoffs. There's another Richard Hoff who's quite a prolific um a prolific uh, writer who, who writes history books as well, but slightly different period than mine, probably much better than mine as well. So just make sure you, mine are all based around Verona. So, but yeah, you can get them on um, on Amazon. Excellent. And yeah, and you can find all your work there. So not just uh, Verona at War, you can find notes from Verona and Rita's War. Okay, so let's move on to the Coppa Italia match against Bari on Sunday. We're going to go through this pretty quickly because we're limited on time and because I don't want to put you through that misery for too long. On Sunday, and that was 90 minutes. That was plenty. Uh... (laughs) Um, As you mentioned in part one, the match finished 4-1 for Body. Rick, what went wrong for the Jalo Blue in this match? Yeah, I mean, good question. I think after 50 minutes, we were one up and it seemed like we were under control and to be honest, I didn't expect any upsets in this game. Um, I mean, just minutes before the kickoff, the Barry, I was expecting maybe 10 or 20 Barry fans to have arrived. You know, it's a massive journey, but in the middle of the hottest part of the summer, and it's the first round of the, the Coppa Italia. So I was saying to my sons, yeah, if there's 10 or 20 Barry fans, I would be surprised. And then just a couple of minutes before kickoff, there's this almighty noise. And about a thousand, maybe not a thousand, maybe a few hundred anyway, Barry fans marched in through the little tunnel into the Corva Nord uh, up high where they put the away fans, making an incredible noise. And that was the first sense where I think everyone in the stadium, the Verona fans, kind of turned around and looked and thought, hold on a minute, there might actually be a game on here. And the Barry fans, full credit to them, they were noisy throughout the whole game. I don't, I don't think they stopped for 90 minutes. They had the drums, they had the, the fireworks, they had everything. And so that was probably the first sign that something wasn't quite going to go according to the script. And then 50 minutes, we were 1-0 one, one up. 25 minutes in, Ceccherini in defence had a, a nasty injury and, and hobbled off. And from that moment on, really, nothing went right. Barry just looked more up for it, better organised. They looked like a team that played together, that had done the right preparation, that had done a good pre-season, that 
you know, we didn't look like a Serie A team. They were the ones, if anything, looked like the, the Serie A team. So really, really disappointing. And I don't think we can just blame, yes, as a new coach, that's a big factor. A couple of new players, but there were enough players from last season in that team. If you look at the starting lineup, yeah, I mean, looking from 1 to 11 there, there was only really up front. Henry came in for the front three, so we didn't have Caprari, Barak, and Simeone, but we had Lasagna, we had Ilic, we had Tamez, we had Faroni and Lazovic. Gunter Ciccarini and Davidovic, Montepon goals. It should have been enough, but it's a real worrying sign that the team that's left behind now is just not going to be good enough to to survive even in this area. I suppose if there's one positive to take away from the match, it's that Lasagna scored again. He's got five goals now in his last three matches. He scored twice against Hoffenheim, twice against Cremonez, and I mean they're preseason friendlies, but yeah. Still it's more than he managed in the whole of last season. So, yeah, that's a good point, Joe. Exactly. And and I think it's safe to say that he's underachieved in the last two seasons, yeah. uh, really since he came to Verona. Do you think he can keep up that form in the Serie A campaign? Yeah, I hope so. Because there's no doubt he's, a, he's got good quality. He's a decent player. He puts in a shift as well. His problem isn't his work ethic or his quality. It's just... He doesn't score that many goals, and for a, a striker, that is a big problem. But hopefully, this season he ha- he has to step up now. You know, with the others gone, he has to now step up and begin to start finding the net a little bit more regularly. So yeah, hopefully that that could be a positive for him if he can push on and score a few goals. Then that would certainly be a positive. But apart from that, yeah, very very few few other redeeming factors from the whole game. Yeah, he red carded as well, which was uh, yeah. uncharacteristically. I he lashed out with his arm and, and just caught the Barry player, and he was red carded after sixty nine minutes. But by then, I think we were already really struggling by that point, and just looked really, really soft at the back. Not a lot going forward. So yeah, some big challenges ahead. Yeah, I think with Lasagna, it seems like he gets himself into good positions to score and he's just lacked the quality of finishing. Yeah, yeah. he's been quite unlucky as well. You know, it's all fine margins and he'll hit the post or he'll crossbar or an inch too wide with a, a volley. So he's not a million miles away from where we want him to be. And if he can just get a little bit of confidence, maybe just those little margins in football that make all the difference, if he can just somehow find those goals where previously he was finding the bar or the, the post, then we could be in business, but yeah, it's a big ask. Yeah, and then the Faraoni red card was a bit of an odd one. I don't know if you, you saw it watching live or if you maybe saw it. Yeah, I mean, I only saw it. I haven't seen the highlights yet, so I was in the stadium quite, you know, not in yes. my seat in the stadium, so... He, yeah, it's difficult to tell, but my instinct there was he just lashed out with a kind of almost like a um, clothesline kind of wrestling maneuver yeah. and just on the move and just. Yeah, what they were saying on the broadcast was that it was actually basically two very two yellow cards in very quick succession because he committed a professional foul that got him the first yellow, and yeah. then he did this lash out clothesline thing. That got him the second yellow, and to your point, I guess he was just frustrated at that yeah, point. And yeah, uh, I mean, he's a great guy. He's been there 
one of our best players again, and he kind of immediately after the match, he kind of stood up, apologized. You know, he's entitled to make those kind of mistakes. He's a player who has who has given everything for the club and above and beyond the call of duty. So that won't, in any sense, be held against him just because of of what he's given. But again, it was just indicative of a game where everything that could have gone wrong did go wrong. Yeah, and I say this all the time about Victor Osman, who also has <laughs> finds to put himself in similar types of situations. To me, it's it's a sign that the player is passionate, and yeah, you know, yeah. you can't. Really okay. is, it was quite uncharacteristic of him. He's not a right. guy who would normally lash out or lose his temper. So I think it was a sign of his frustrations with how the match was panning out as well. But it was uncharacteristic in the sense that he wouldn't normally do that kind of thing. You mentioned the Cecchini injury. Have you seen any updates as to you know the seriousness of that injury? No, I haven't heard since Sunday. I haven't heard, but I mean, it, from how it looked, I would be very surprised if he's fit again to play on on Sunday. So you know that could potentially be a, a bit of a blow if going into the Napoli match if he's if he's fit. Gunter as well just didn't look at his best. He looked. Yeah, so Napoli could really, really exploit a nervous and frail defence on Sunday if these guys don't step up and perform. A few quick comments on body before we uh, wrap up part two. Michael Foloduncho scored the equaliser. He was a bit of a benefactor of a bit of a mess that Montipo made on, on the cross from Kedira. Kadira scored three goals, including one yeah. from the spot. That brought his tally over two Coppa Italia matches to five goals already. In the between the two, he scored in the preliminary round against Padova, and then the three in this match. And like I said, he played the cross on that goal as well. So with the loss, Hellas Verona was actually the third Serie A club to be eliminated from the Coppa Italia after Empoli and Lecce, and then Sassuolo were the fourth team, fourth Serie A team to be eliminated. They lost to Modena on Monday. Sassuolo were in Napoli's sort of corner of the bracket. So I, I suppose, I mean, that's probably good for Napoli. The other match in our quadrant was Cremonese against Ternana. Cremonese won that match 3-2, to two, which means that the winner of Modena against Cremonese will play against Napoli in the round of 16. So that will do for part two. In part three, we'll preview the opening match of the 2022-23 campaign which is on Monday. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday. I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather. Now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to part three of the Fort Sinopoli podcast. If you like the show, consider becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash Fort Sinopoli pod. It's entirely voluntary, but it does help us to grow the show and now the website, which is ForzaNapoliPress.com, where you can find even more content. So let's talk about the game on Monday. Rick, how do you think Verona will line up for this match? It sounds like you kind of listed off a pretty decent squad, um, minus maybe the injury to Cecchini. 
Yeah, but before going on to that, I mean, you're, you're talking about the game on Monday. I, I, I think here in Verona, they're playing on Sunday evening. Is that right? No, I thought I could have sworn it was on Monday. Monday. Monday night game. Or have I got that wrong? Maybe I've got that wrong. I thought it was a, a Sunday yeah, evening game here in Verona. Yeah, no, I'm showing, I'm, I think it's Monday. <laughs> it would be 6.30 for you on Monday. Friday, Monday. Oh, I, th- I, th- I had in my mind it was a Sunday evening game, so I'm glad I... Uh, <laughs> Good thing you came on the show. You might have showed up a, a whole day early for that. Well, in any case, I'm on holiday. I'm going. To, I'm away that uh, this weekend. So, and away it's, it's a relief. I'm not going to be in Verona for for the game. It's a peculiarity of this season that the season is starting so early, when most people in Italy are taking a week or their two weeks holiday to the beach because it falls right on uh, Ferragosto. So, yeah. A lot of fans will be either at the beach or racing back from the beach, or just quite happy to stay at the beach and and not even uh, not even have to worry about it. And be up in the mountains. I'll be up in the Dolomites. So, in a way, I'm I'm quite relieved to be to be sitting this one out. Although, you know, it's always a, a fantastic occasion when when Napoli come to town. I think we spoke in the past about the the rivalry between the two clubs and that house. Unfortunately has a habit of spilling over um, into something uglier. Usually that's uh, our fault as well, I have to confess. But, yeah, it's usually always a great... On the pitch, it's usually always a, a great match. So, I'm, in a way, I'm, I'm sad to be missing that. But based on what I've seen at Barry, you know, it's not the end of the world. <laughs> I don't think uh, there's plenty more games coming up that might be more evenly contested. Mm-hmm. I mean, in terms of the, the starting lineup, we don't have a lot of options, really, you know, where... The squad is running pretty threadbare at the moment, so I think you can expect to see Gunter and Davidovic in the middle again. Probably Amione, who's the young Argentinian. I think he's only 19 or 20 years old. Really inexperienced, but he came on at halftime against Barry and didn't particularly put a foot wrong. He's, he's built like a, a little boxer. He's short, squat, looks pretty handy, so I, I would expect to see him start again. In the middle, I think unless we unless Ilich goes between now and then, which is possible, I would expect to see him I'm in midfield. Hongla and Tamez, both of them started against Barry. I, I would expect to see them. Veloso, I, I think, is suspended for this one. Lazovic, I would expect to see on the the left hand side of midfield. Faraone, I don't know if he misses a game now with his suspension through through the red card, would have immediate effect against Napoli and Serie A. So he, he may have to sit that one out. But up front, I think Lasagna will be starting. And then we've got a half-decent choice. You know, we've mentioned some of these guys before. Henry probably will start. But then there's also Piccoli waiting in the wings as well. So not a lot of choice. Barak could play, assuming he's still in Verona. Barak could see more of him. There's also a young Scottish guy who's joined us called Josh Doig. Um, he's been having some difficulties, I think, with his work permit, but he could come in as well. I think we've got limited options at this point in the season, I'm afraid to say, and those options are getting more limited by the, the hour. Okay. Let me go through Napoli's starting 11, which is a little bit difficult to predict given how many changes that could still happen, as we mentioned. I'm fairly confident with this lineup, though, simply because we're so close to the start of the season now that 
even if we did sign some new players, I don't think Spalletti would throw them into the starting 11 right away. I think those players would need a couple of weeks to learn the system, build some chemistry with their new teammates, which I think is fine given the players that we currently have. I think the biggest uncertainty is who will start in goal. At the moment, Alex Meret is still the number one, but we know that Napoli have been linked to Kepa and Navas. And if we bring one of those two guys in on loan, then Meret could be loaned out as well. Meanwhile, Salvatore Sirigu was in Rome to complete his medicals on Tuesday. So depending on how this plays out, we could actually see Sirigu in goal for this match, which would be a, a pretty wild sight, I think. Our back line is pretty much set. Kim Min-jae and Amir Rahmani will likely start at center back. I think Mario Rui will start over Matias Oliveira at left back. Oliveira is still relatively new, and he didn't train fully at the start of the summer because he was still recovering from a knee sprain. Giovanni Di Lorenzo will start at right back. He will be wearing the captain's armband this season. Now, as far as I can tell, like I said earlier, we're going to play in a 4-3-3, and that may change if we sign Raspadori, but... In the 4-3-3, I think we'll see Lobotka play as the Regista behind Andre Frank Zambuan Gisa, and I think Piotr Zelinski. Again, with Fabian potentially on his way out, I don't think they're going to risk him picking up a knock. Kavica Kvaraskelia will likely start on the left wing, and with Matteo Politano dealing with a calf injury, Chuki Lozano will probably start on the right wing. I think that's pretty much set. Even when Politano recovers, I think that's Lozano's position to lose now. And finally, Victor Osman will start at striker. So those are our starting lineups. Let's talk a little bit about style of play. Under Ivan Juric, Verona played a very defensive system. During his two seasons, Verona only conceded 51 and 48 goals a season, respectively. Then under Tudor, as we've talked about, Verona played a very attack-minded brand of football. They scored 65 goals during his single season, where does Gabriele Chofi fall on that spectrum of Juric yeah. uh, to Tudor? That's a good question, George. I mean, I would take issue slightly, I suppose, with the suggestion that Juric adopted a defensive system. I would say he was very under Juric, our defence was very effective. I wouldn't necessarily describe him as a defence-minded tactician. He was also quite offensive and... Yes, he conceded very few goals. We didn't actually score that many either. But he was actually quite an aggressive-minded coach. He would attack when the opportunities arose and he would press as well. His teams were pretty good to watch as well. It wasn't like they were just... Um, from my perspective anyway, and other people may, may take issue with this, but from my perspective, he wasn't setting up parking the bus trying to prevent goals. You know, his system three defenders and two wide midfielders was all about pushing those two wide midfielders, Lazovic and Faraoni, high up the park with the likes of Zakani helping in that. Yeah, no, I wouldn't characterise his reign necessarily as, or his system necessarily as defensive, but absolutely correct to say that, that we conceded few goals and scored few goals as well. We scored lots more goals, which would have, he had a better tools at his disposal up front when Caprari, Simeone and Barak all got firing on full cylinders together. So there's no doubt that he was more effective up front. But I think that was probably more to do with the players he had at his disposal rather than any inherent tactical differences between the two of them. I would say the 
the systems they employed were pretty much the same. They just had slightly different personnel involved. So where trophy fits and all of that, it's difficult to say. I would say he seems to veer more on the side of defence and making setting up the team to be harder to break through. So we've got a, a five-man midfield instead of a four-man midfield with two target men up front rather than a triangle of three with two wide players pushing up into those angles. So I think that, yeah, there's definitely, unfortunately, I think going to be a, a change in style. And I think the net result is going to be probably less goals, less points and less fun. <laughs> that sounds a little depressing. It's weak, isn't it, for this point in the season, but I think we've been pushing our luck really for the last three seasons. This season, I think, is going to be a bit of a reality check. That sounds like a fair assessment, considering that he coached under Gotti, who has that similar kind of uh, style with protecting first and, and maybe looking to strike a bit more on the counter. Since this is the first game of the season, I'm not going to ask you for a prediction. Instead, I'll ask you, what result would you be content with? Obviously, we both want to win the match. That goes yeah. without saying. Yeah. But you yeah. know, with all the change over the summer, with what you've mentioned about yeah. the body match, you know, the, the only consolation I can take from this game is that Napoli has probably had a, if anything, a bigger exodus of players than Verona have had. So. To some extent, your team is in a, a similar position to ours. You've lost some of your talismanic, iconic players. You've still got a lot of quality there and you've still got your coach. So in that regard, I would say we're, we're slightly different. But I take comfort from the fact that Napoli's in a, in a transition period as well. Otherwise, if it was the same Napoli team coming into this game as, as we played against last season, I would be really, really concerned. I think the fact that you're in transition, it's the first game of the season as well for Napoli. I think that hopefully will give us a chance. Hopefully we're going to get a reaction from the players after the humiliation really of Barry. So I think, I mean, realistically, a draw would be a good result. I hate to go out and play at home looking for a draw. So I hope we're not going to fall into that trap. I hope we just go out with the mentality that we had under Juric and Tudor. And if the game is there for winning, let's try and win the game. But the odds, I think, really are are stacked against us. You know, I touched on this a little bit last episode, but some of the changes at Napoli, like the departures of Koulibaly and Ospina, will definitely affect our play on the pitch. And then the departures of guys like Insigne and Mertens, may or may not affect us off the pitch. I think they were definitely the heart and soul of the team, but these guys were also sort of the senatori that were around during the times where the mentality wasn't quite strong enough and, and various different issues. So it will definitely be interesting to see how that goes. Personally, I don't think a draw in a very hostile environment would necessarily be a terrible result for Napoli either. But I do worry about the reaction that that might get from fans after such a strong start to last season and tension seem to be at an all-time high in Napoli at the moment. And I think people are just waiting to tear De Laurentiis apart for tearing apart the squad. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, and it's a very similar picture here in, in Verona. You can already sense the mood in the stadium has shifted compared to the last three years where there's a really buoyant, 
fun environment in the stadium. President, again, has become public enemy number one. And that really shifts the mood in the stadium from one of joy and pleasure and to one of negativity. And that very quickly finds its way onto the players as well. You know, if the fans are beginning to get a little bit negative, then the players get more nervous and, you know, they're not able to express themselves in the way they want to. So they can very quickly, you know, I've been here for 10 years now and I've seen it, it can very quickly spiral on and off the pitch um, and you end up with real, real low-quality football and toxic environment in the stadium. So I really hope we can, after the travesty, after the kind of shock of the Barry game, we can at least salvage some pride against Napoli, lift our heads a little bit. And, you know, I, I think I've said on, on this podcast before, we don't necessarily expect to win every game. Certainly not, especially against the big teams. But we do expect a little bit of organisation, a little bit of effort. And that's what's been so great about the last three seasons here. And I just the thought that that might all kind of fizzle out is pretty depressing. La Stampa put out an article that listed the uh, season ticket sales for all 20 clubs. And Hellas Verona were okay, I think around 10,000. Uh, seats 10,200 yeah yeah. Napoli are at 5,000 which I think is indicative of just how frustrated the fans have gotten I mean I I don't know if that did Napoli historically have a a kind of low season ticket sale or is that I think no I think it's it's hard to say like historically I mean you think of certainly coming up through the the lower divisions they were setting setting records for attendance, but I don't yeah. know if that yeah. was yeah. season ticket holders or just people buying individual tickets on a regular yeah. basis. Yeah, yeah, maybe that's just enough. I don't know if that, that's just the kind of Neapolitan mentality where they buy tickets. They don't invest mm-hmm. in a season ticket. They, they buy tickets. Um, it depends on the pricing structure at the club as well. I know some clubs are really encouraging season ticket purchases by offering low price season tickets compared to quite high price individual match ticket prices. Um, I mean, I, ca- I can't complain about the, the price of uh, season tickets at Verona mm-hmm. um, or individual match tickets for that matter either. It's it's reasonable. They never really seem to, to exploit the fans or take advantage of the fans in that way. And 10,000, it's not great. You know, it's been higher in recent years. I would expect more around about 12 or especially on the back of two or three good seasons. But I, I think, again, like Napoli, it's a sign of a little bit of discontent about the way the club is being run from the boardroom. And that's a shame because on the back of the three seasons that we've had, you, you would expect a little bit more optimism and buoyancy there. But unless everyone's still on their holidays and they're, they'll get their season tickets purchased when they, they come back from their holidays, I don't know but. Yeah, I think there could be a couple of factors. I know from what I understand, the Napoli season tickets are still better value compared to just buying individual tickets, but comparatively, they're still relatively expensive, you know, second or third highest season ticket prices. Yeah. It, it could also be connected to the wider cost of living crisis yeah. that everyone's kind of faced with at the moment as well, whether people are just being a little bit more circumspect with their, with their budgets, but I don't know. I mean, you, you look at Roma. I think Roma have some incredible numbers coming out of Roma, and there's some. Um, that's I think the Mourinho factor for you, isn't it? The 
he's just box office gold, you know. People yep. would pay just to come and see him in the dugout, you know. But what seems to be happening down there is is really exciting, I think, for Serie A um, and Italian football in general. Yeah, and you add Dybala to that as well. And I think they're just behind the two clubs from Milan. So, and then I think, again, to your point, you know, the season's starting earlier. So, yeah, maybe a lot earlier. So, people yeah. are still haven't really kind of switched on to that season ticket time again. We're starting a couple of weeks earlier than normal. Yeah, fingers crossed we get a good game on Monday and that will get a bit of uh, excitement and optimism back in. Uh, and everybody's uh, certainly mine. I think that game against Barry was just a little bit of a <laughs> took the wind out of my sails a little bit, Joe. Yeah, well, I mean, one of us will be excited. Uh, possibly neither of us. <laughs> um, Rick, that's all we have time for today. But any final thoughts before we wrap it up? Nope. Just uh, yeah, let's just hope for a, a good game, uh, a good game between two great clubs on uh, on Monday. Absolutely. You can find Rick on Twitter at Rick underscore Hoff. There's a handy link to all his work in his bio there, so be sure to check that out. You can find me on Twitter at Joe underscore Fischetti5, and you can find the podcast on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Patreon at Fortsanapoli Pod. Again, you can find the website at fortsanapolipress.com. I will be back next week to review this match, but until then, I'm Joe Fischetti, Fortsanapoli Sempre. Podcast Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.